Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Previously, Previously. on the Game On Podcast. And I was going, oh, this is sad, you know. But anyway, it's, uh, I think my mum, I think she wanted another daughter because I know I used to wear it in a ponytail in grade, like, one and two at school. <laughs> uh, so I've, just, I've always had it I've always had it long, except for my 30th birthday when uh, Silly Andrew Jarman and Dave Pittman and Peter Caven and Rod Jamison and my two brothers, uh, yeah, gave me, uh, yeah, cut my hair off. So that was, um, that was, a, that was sort of the only time I ever had it short. You did mention, uh, or Malcolm did mention about family and all the shenanigans that go on. A couple of Port players that always used to, to be practical jokers and then maybe the Essendon and the Crows players. Is there people you needed to steer clear of from that point of view? Yeah, I think with Port, you know, no question Bomber Clifford. I, yes. I think uh, some of his antics, uh, actually being a young lad, it sort of scared me a little bit because I was just really worried that he, if he picks on me, I don't know. If I can handle it. <laughs> so he was, he was a really strong character, just so funny and, and you know, wanted to make people laugh. Um, and uh, lucky enough, he didn't pick on me too, too many times. Uh, George Fiacci, of course, you know, Timmy Genova, you know, um, uh, really, really great personalities of, 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 the, of the club. And, and then Alan Nizard from Essendon was, was, was great. And uh, Billy Duckworth, was a, he, was a, he was a character. Paul Salmon, was, uh, he was always looking after, looking for a, a laugh as well. So, uh, and then the Crows, you, got, you know, Rod Jamison, uh, Kimmy Costa. Uh, he probably got picked on more than he gave out. But anyway, that's Kimmy. <laughs> uh, Peter Caven, a great character. Um, Andrew Jarman, of course. Uh, uh, what, a, you know, what, a, what a wonderful human being that guy is. Um, and... Uh, just a, a wonderful friend, and he was, he was a, he was a great guy, and probably, probably the one I think was a bit heroic for me was Paul Salmon. We, I got him asked to do, um, uh, oh, is, is it the prime, start of the century? Okay. And what happened? I was uh, when the when the, the old, you know, when they come to the, uh, you can go, you can do shopping. Remember, you could do shopping. Yeah. And yeah. So it was weight, it was weights equipment. So, you know, you give up five or ten points to, to get the, the, the weights, equipment, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, they asked me to do it. So I went out and, you know, in the start of the century and Tony Barber said, well, here's a gift shop. And there I was, you know, doing the lap pull down on this 
this uh, weights machine and he asked me a few questions about the finals and stuff like that. And that, that was all good. And I got a couple hundred bucks for it. Beautiful. But then, well, after that, the team was brutal on me. Yeah, I can that imagine. That was brutal. I, I really just wanted to find a corner and say, <laughs> oh, my God, these guys are ruthless. And Paul Salmon, I always remember him saying, oh, geez, it's going to be terrible when they, the guys find out uh, I've been on Neighbours. <laughs> and, me, and they just hit, they hit Paul. They were just going for him. And, and I always remember him, boy, you know, being my best man. So I thought, mate, thank you so much. And, you know, you knew I was, I was drowning. And uh, yeah, he, do, he reflected it beautifully. And uh, but he never did go on neighbours. He just threw he threw that out just to take the pressure off me. So that's gold. Yeah, funny clubs, uh, you know. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes, uh, yeah, they, uh, yeah. Yes, they can be ruthless. Doesn't matter what level. Yep. Yes. Oh, so everything's relevant, as I said. Yes. Yes. Hey, and I greatly appreciate your time. Um, fantastic, have you on the show, and uh, look forward to uh, catching up with you at a Hanson family show where Lovely, where both of us will be pissing ourselves laughing. Sportscast SA presents Game On. Game On. South Australia's destination for everything sports. Local, national, and international sports. AFL football, soccer, basketball, golf, baseball, tennis, cricket, and any other sports played in this wide world. And we're going to have a blast doing it. So sit back, relax, and let's do this thing. Welcome to Game On. Welcome to Game On. My name's Pete. Uh, once again, joined by Malcolm. And we thank Ando for his time uh, last week. Uh, that that story right at the end with, uh, you know, how footy clubs can be if um, something uh, gets blown a bit out of proportion. Yes. And um, and uh, Paul Salmon just jumping in and saying, "Hey, uh, I was on neighbours," which is uh, which is quite funny in itself. Yeah, it was. Isn't it? it was quite a funny story, and yeah, also a bit of fun with the uh, Hanson family feedback and all that. Yeah. Good chat, good fun. Absolutely, and uh, obviously at the beginning of the show we we tend to reel off our guest stats and uh, he's really done it all in football when you think about it. He's certainly been around the traps, Ando. Yeah, very much so. And then yeah, obviously... All Australian as well, he, um, that side of things. No, he was a very good player. If anything, maybe bulked up and then probably lost a little bit of that burst of pace and on the left foot, so yeah. But he was a very good player. Absolutely. And then obviously going back to local level and doing a little bit of coaching. Yeah. And so really uh, enjoying uh, his time in football, that's for sure. And we thank him for one, once again for being uh, our, our special guest. Definitely. Around the Grounds. And today, mate, we're going to uh, follow up from the uh, tennis here in Adelaide last week, uh, the basketball, uh, the soccer but uh, once again, we'll kick off with the AFL and um, draft picks. Uh, we've we've got through the trade period. Now we start to look at the draft picks. Um, Harley Reid seems to be the one that everyone is looking at at number one. But who do you think might actually get that, West Coast or uh, North Melbourne? One, I do think he's a lock. I think if Walter wasn't a Gold Coast Academy, uh, Academy selection, yep. I think there'd be a lot more debate. Um with a couple of recruiters last year, and uh, one of them said, you know, bugger next year, he'd walk into any AFL side next week. Yep. So uh, and I thought that's a pretty fair 
call as well, and it wasn't a beautiful build already. And, yeah, so watch out for him. So I think there would be a lot more debate if he was available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's number one. I, I think West Coast is going to have to back themselves in. If they don't pick him, they're almost going, our culture is not good enough to keep him. So mm-hmm. I think they've got, to, they've got to pick him. And a few of um, West Coast draft picks also don't sort of allow them too much room to move. But we are in a, in a period of where they can trade some of these draft picks. You can trade right on during, up and in during the night. Yeah. So things, things still can happen, but I'd be amazed if they don't call out yeah. Harley Reid with yeah. number one. Fair call. Uh, looking at the Crows and Port Adelaide, obviously the local flavour. Um, Adelaide with pick 10, 14, 20 and 89 at this stage. Um Reasonably strong draft hand. It is, and I admit, I'm a huge play for Taylor Goad, Ruckman, South Adelaide, Westminster boy. Mm-hmm. Um, six foot 11. I watched him seven times this year, so it's not a comment from, you know. Left field. Yeah. Yep. So having seen, and look, he's a unique talent. He cleared a ball in the 18s grand final, one tap cleared it his own. I, I did go to the 18s grand final. Mainly to what he was my main interest. Yep. And it was quite amusing. So I did go up to say hello to Jason Miller, ex Nord player. And I said, Yeah, I'm really interested in this Taylor Go kid. And he smiled and laughed and said, uh, He's going out with my daughter. Uh, and I said, Now, how the hell's your daughter 6'1? And he's 6'11. Mm-hmm. So the potential there is quite ridiculous. Yep. And I said, What do you think the first time you met him? And he said, I thought I was tall at 6'5. Yeah, nothing on uh, young Taylor, but. I also love that his ruck work, he doesn't just hit to the same spot, the same pace. Like, he's not a robot like Riley O'Brien. Mm-hmm. I think he's, so I think there's a lot to work with. And he's broken uh, athletic records at the at the draft, you know, trial camps, that sort of thing. Yep. And yeah, I, I'm really hoping that he's still there mm-hmm. and the Crows pick him. I can't, he's probably my main interest. Yep. In this draft. Yeah, fair call. Uh, obviously, Adelaide have some deficiencies at the moment with the midfield and their backs. I mean, are they starting to look um, a little more afield as to how they can plug those gaps? Not instantly, but in a very short space of time? I think they are, but there's a couple they've drafted in the last couple of years where Billy Dowling, I think, will get a game in the midfield. I think Nan Curvis will get used back in defence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in that way, yes, they do need a key back with Murray being out for the majority of the year and having lost Dode. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But I still think Ruck's the other one, especially for the future. You know, I think it's criminal Adelaide on list management that Strawn's still on the list four years and they still don't know whether he's good enough or not. I, yep. think, I think that's quite crazy by now. He almost fits into the Hately of just being a little bit too good for the SNFL and maybe not just as good for the AFL, but we haven't seen enough of yeah, him at I, AFL level to make that um, assertion at this stage. But when he has played at the AFL level, I thought he's held up quite quite well. I don't understand why they haven't had more of a look at him. Riley O'Brien lacks connection with the midfield. He's not a good tap ruckman. Um, yeah, athletically, Robert gets around the ground. He, he does try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's not a natural ruckman. Unfortunately, yep. he's, he hasn't got the footy smarts. And yep. Still a very valuable player. Gets plenty of the ball, um, but yeah, probably his main area. A bit like Mason Cox in that grand final. I think that was one thing I pointed out, that the part of the difference to Collingwood was 
a basketballer going into the middle there just gave them just that, that bit little of bit of feel. That's exactly yeah. right. And I think that's yeah. where we've see, sort of been going at, um, you know, with the Riley O'Brien situation and why you're saying Strawn might be a good option, but obviously Code um, as a draft potential. Um, do we see Adelaide making any big plays for a uh, slightly higher draft pick or do you think they're reasonably happy with 10, 14 and 20 at this stage? I hope not because I don't see the point of trading two first-rounders if you're only going to go up two or three. If you went up to number two or three and there was a player there and you thought he was one in a generation, yep. that sort of thing, yeah. But 10 and 14 to go up a couple of spots for mine would yep. be ridiculous. So I hope they use all three draft choices. Yep. And I'm, as I said, I'm hoping that one of those is for Tigo. Absolutely. And uh, the... I think the AFL cutoff was yesterday for the uh, list uh, management yeah. side of things. Um, Murray being upgraded to to the main list. Borlay's being delisted, yeah, but on the promise that he'll be re- redrafted. Taking a big risk there. I wouldn't be surprised if Port or another club pick him up and put him on their main list. So that's it's an interesting choice. The mail is Adelaide have uh, doubts about him pace-wise yep. and that thought he got exposed a bit there. So... That's the, the mail, whether, you know, and it, it comes back to your decisions in signing a Lockie Murphy up for two years. So all of a sudden you haven't got other list spots. Yes. So it comes back to your list management there, a couple of, a couple of errors that make Average may come decisions back. Yep. hurt you in the long run, so. Yeah, cool. Uh, Port, uh, we'll move on to Port. Uh, Port only have pick 73 in this year's draft, but obviously they've traded and traded for the, yeah. na- the here and the now. And it'll be a couple more after 73, which fits in the initial things, but they can still pass. It's it's all cloak and dagger stuff. Um, Yeah, look, they've decided on on, I think Soldo does improve them, that Lysett's body was gone. Mm -hmm. Um, Not gone, but gone. Yes. And Sweet for mine's an interesting one. Thirk Thatcher, maybe. So there's a couple of maybes there. They're throwing a fair bit of... Dice. Wait behind uh, a couple of unknowns that uh, could uh, catapult them straight away or it could uh, take a little while to gel. Yeah, and I'm just not sure how Radaglia and Aaliyah best position is the the plus one. Mm -hmm. Let's face it, is anyone's best position. Mm -hmm. We all don't want to stand anyone. Yep. So, yeah, in that way it's a bit of a false one, but I'm just not sure either of those two are great pure defenders. So... Yeah, it's, cool. it'll be interesting. Uh, obviously, with the trade period finishing, we have a, obviously a little bit of a bit more of a look at what uh, clubs have done previously with some of their trading. It um, we'll start off with Port Adelaide. Um, Port Adelaide have you know really traded in some pretty good players over the journey. Um, that you know you can't argue with too many of their trades. So they've obviously gone and picked, uh, especially in this draft, they've picked players that they think that are going to fill gaps. Generally, it's worked out pretty well for them. A bit amusing too that last year that sort of the Horn Francis one happened late because they were about to sign another player who's mm-hmm. still at an AFL club uh, in, back in Victoria who was just about to sign the, the across the line and uh, Port official ra- uh, uh, that one's off because we've just now got another yep. bigger fish to fry so things happen behind uh, and that way so 
And it's interesting that Port, you know, obviously are, um, you know, recruiting or um, uh, trading, you know, not not really to bottom out too much. I mean, they've obviously done it previously uh, under Matty Primus uh, where things got a little bit tough there as far as playing stocks go. But ever since then, they've really had the the mantra, I suppose, of, you know, let's, uh, let's, draft let's recruit for for key positions and and have done it pretty well i think they have and you know financially they really the pressure and can't afford to to bottom out and look it's going to be interesting to see how many supporters don't sign on for the keeping hinkley yep. and that sort of wah wah and and that thing so yeah they're in a bit of a crossroads situation which could go either way absolutely and then uh, we talk about adelaide it's interesting that adelaide haven't had um well, haven't attracted too many free agents in the past. Um, I know when I sort of started to do a little bit of research on this, there's one name that um, you pointed out perfectly to me and that I completely forgot about, Eddie Betts, uh, yeah. one, of, one of the best. Um, but, you know, Adelaide do have a little bit of a, a an issue with attracting free agents. Um, is, that a, is that a culture thing or is that just Adelaide's way of doing things? Yeah, well, let's also remember, not free agents, but they have – Got Dawson and Rankin back in the last couple of years, so it's I I don't think it's too much there. I, it's got to depend where your list's at, mm-hmm. what money's there, who's around. So it's, it's more it's about a fine line. So it's more about them sort of targeting their players and maybe taking them a little bit out of contract rather than a a, a complete free agent as well. And it comes back to your list decisions. Yeah. It's like I admit I'd have sold over before Riley O'Brien yep. personally. Yep. But Adelaide have made that call. They've got a long term contract and. Yeah, so that it's that's where your list management comes back into it again. Yep, yep so. fickle. Uh, and just from a um, a little bit of a Nordish note, uh, Arezzo Fantasia or uh, Razzle, yeah. Razzle Dazzle off to Carlton for two years. Yeah, apparently been offered one at Port. And yep, Carlton have come in for two. And look, he'd be mad not to have taken that where his body's at consistently. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, he hasn't got on the park much for two years. Is he? There's no doubt he's a very good AFL player. Yep. And I don't think there's any doubt that he's an, a big upgrade on Carlton Smalls mm-hmm. on what they've got. So I understand why Carlton have done it. Yep. You know, that they're around the mark. They're contending They're contending now and they've gone, hey, we need a small forward to get goals. And if he can if he can get on the park, he, yes, he's that player. Yep. But the big question, can he get on the park? Absolutely. I think Carlton would probably be looking at about 15, maybe 16 games out of him throughout the season, but they've obviously got to manage him knowing that they've obviously taken the risk uh, that he can be a little bit injury prone. But who knows, different uh, facilities, different training training regime, you just never you just never know. He'd be at any club if you could get 15 games a year out of him. Absolutely. Anyway, that's what... As a Carlton supporter, that's what yeah, I'm hoping, oh, hoping for as well, and so it am I. piqued my interest as yeah. well. So, yeah. all right, let's move on to the cricket. Boy, oh boy, wow, we Travis Head comes back into the Australian side, and I must admit, I sat and watched um, him and Warner just go absolutely berserk, and he was hitting the ball sweeter than I've ever seen anybody hit the ball before. One ball, as Ian Smith commentating, was, you know... That's Hit the gone, Everglades? Yeah, and it's not sure if it's going to come back. Yep. Yeah, it was incredible. He's, yeah, he just came out and whacked him. It was just so free. Haven't held a bat. Hardly had he hit the nets. Yes. He, he'd been at one of the Shield games at Karen Rolton. Still wasn't touching a bat yet. Mm-hmm. You thought, geez, why are they keeping him? Like, mm-hmm. For goodness sake. Yep. And 
Then he comes out and does that. I mean, bang, Australia's so. run rate, I think, for the first oh, 10 or 12 r- overs was 12 or 13. It never dropped below 10 yeah. um, until uh, I think it was around about the 23 or 24 over mark, which is just insanity when you when you think about it. Well, how, it sounds ridiculous. You've made 389 in a one-day game, yep. and yet you severely underachieved where it looked like they could get 500 yep. at one stage. and. Crazy. That's what I was just about to talk about. Australia, 49.2 overs all yeah, out for 300, 388. Labashane and, and Smith uh, playing him in the same team. Mm, do you, don't you? Um, they've got a little bit of a decision to make, but yeah, obviously I, Head's not going to come out and do that every game, but it just seemed that uh, Warner seems to be a little bit freer at the moment. Um, Head comes back in with well, a... A, a, a clear, clear headspace, um, and and plays like that. I think they're building nicely. I thought the other interesting thing. I was waiting to see if he'd bowl. At the moment, you'd have Phillips, a bit of a part time offie, mm-hmm. who'd been the one guy who brought New Zealand back back into the game. Yep. And I thought, I wonder if Travis here. We are in India. Yes. Are they going to use his bowling? So I, I wonder where his hands at that situation. Mm-hmm. So that I think that's the. The next development in the next couple of weeks is it'll be interesting if he bowls on Saturday against yeah, England. Absolutely, uh, Australia obviously setting a target of three eighty nine, and uh, New Zealand attacked it uh, in the right frame of mind. Um, it wasn't uh, insurmountable. I mean, you're looking oh. at uh, what over eight, almost seven hundred, eight hundred runs there. It was crazy, uh, which is just absolutely amazing in a um, in a one day international, and it. I suppose it probably reinvigorated a few people as to what the you know the one day game can be a little bit about. Yeah, it's very true. The fifty over game has been in big doubt. You know, will it continue? All that side of things, and I, I still think that's very much a question in the air. But those sort of these sort of games give more. Look, I prefer fifty. Look, yep. I prefer Test cricket. Yes, yes. but then I prefer fifty over cricket to one. I, I love 2020 at a local level, yep. at a Paynham level, yep. etc. cetera. Yep. I, I, internationally, I, I've got, nah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, obviously, playing it at an international level has probably helped, uh, you know, teams like Bangladesh, the Netherlands, um, you know, Afghanistan. You know, those teams uh, can obviously benefit from the uh, 2020 format. So, yeah, I, I, I do see it uh, like you do, uh, as in, you know, it's good to, for those yeah. countries to play it at a local level to really spark some interest and really yeah. get it going. So, on oh, Afghanistan at the moment are the promising story out of the World Cup. You know, they are a chance for the semis. Absolutely. All right, we move on. Uh, we'll stick with cricket. Um, the Redbacks suffer a little bit of a big defeat at the hands of WA, mate. I'll um, I'll I'll let I'll let you um, let you vent on that one. None for twenty seven overnight, chasing two sixty odd. You think right? Have a decent day with a bat here. Then we collapse, we lose, so we're four for 50. Covered it, we're six for 109. Then Ben Menenti, who, I've got to be honest, is quite bizarre. He's really playing as more as a batsman who can bowl a bit. He's not one of the best four bowlers. His bowling is just containment. It's not going to get a wicket. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I don't think in that way he fits in. But because they're not making enough runs, they're playing him. So it's a bit bizarre. Um... And that so with thirty odd in front on the first innings, but after that it was really 
a case of WA by how far after the second day. The predictable big opening partnership, Bancroft and Whiteman, and you look down their list. And look, their depth is just incredible, WA. Absolutely. They're a little unique too. They've got Ken Green and they've got Aaron Hardy, who's batting at five and opens to bowling. He's mm-hmm. a, he, he's also going to be around the mark. He can really play. And so like, Turner's playing as a batsman batting at seven and will probably miss out when everyone's back available. Yep. So it's you know, they are very strong WA, but it was the predictable, really disappointing fall away that South Australia we didn't fight and fight and just hang around and force out a draw where yep. Tasmania are stuck way behind and end up chasing four hundred and thirty two to win. You know, yet South Australia are predictable. Very a little bit of list management there, uh, as you said. Uh, WA second innings eight, declared uh, eight for three seventy seven, and then Australia, uh, South Australia uh, all out for one fifty four. Um, yeah, it's hard to uh, to, to argue. Uh, you know, the, the Redbacks just need to find that little bit of grunt and grit and determination at times. And this was probably a really good opportunity, especially after a very good win against New South Wales. Yeah. Disappointed scoreboard operator at Nordoval checking those scores out here and there. Uh, fair enough. I, I won't ask his name. Yes. All right, we'll move on to the AFLW, mate. Uh, round nine completed. Um, some interesting results along the way. We did talk uh, last week about uh, the Adelaide North Melbourne game and how we saw it sort of playing out a little bit. And I think the one thing that you mentioned was that, you know, they're going to come out all guns blazing, and that's exactly what they did. They were on right from the get-go and really kept Adelaide at arm's length for a good period of the game. It was quite a bizarre game because North Melbourne looked convincingly the better side. They looked like they were more capable of scoring well and truly. Uh, Kate Sheilor up forward. Um, Tim Sheilor, relation there, from mate from uni. Mm-hmm. Um she looked the most dangerous forward well and truly, and they just looked the better side. Yep. And and a bit of aerial dominance too. Yes. That was the other, that was the other noticeable thing. Oh, and thank goodness Sarah Allen was back for Adelaide. That that was probably one area which it would have been far more without her mm-hmm. back in the side. Um, and but Adelaide just stuck at it. And probably the other thing there is where the 50-metre rule is a penalty, is such a huge penalty... It's a big penalty in in guys fo- in male footy, but in female footy, fifty meters is effectively another kick. Yes, and two of Adelaide's goals came from fifties. Now, one of them was definitely there; the other one I thought was more debatable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's such a big penalty. Now, the other thing on Sunday, it obviously they decided the last touch rule was the in rule for the week. Yeah, and there was normally on that one when it's a bit debatable, it's a throw in. Where on Sunday there was, it a lot was of Russian roulette yep. on a few, and yeah, I, I admit I, there was one right in front of me where there's no one in the world the umpire knew he mm-hmm. was guessed, yep. and yeah, it was bizarre. I, again, I feel they and they've always done it. Umpiring does that as a thing they pick out one rule and you don't know about it too. There, and that, that was obviously the in thing for yep. that round and that day, and it was crazy. Yeah, it seemed to it be a lot of questioning, questioning between oh. the central umpires and the boundary umpires as well as to to the last touch. And that was one thing that I I think we might hold fire on that one because there's probably uh, that there's a whole segment we could probably dissect on whether that's a good thing or a well, bad there, thing. But it, you're right, one. It, it certainly uh, is an area that's of concern. 
there was one where the boundary umpire said, I believe it's flicked her back heel. Well, hang on, mate. You believe? Let's yep. just throw it in. Come yep. on. Yep. Common sense. sense. Yep. Uh, Adelaide obviously winning by three points. Um, Kelly uh, kicking that magnificent goal. A uh, couple of stoppages in the, um, uh, what would it be, the northern forward line uh, of Nordoval there. and um, To the Roger Woodcock end. And right, Adelaide actually spread at the right time. They you, did. You, you, you were sitting there thinking, come on, you girls, think your way through this a bit more. And they finally did on the third ball up mm-hmm. and got it, got it out. Good give and a good finish. And then, yeah, the two North Melbourne players collided into each other. Yes. The classic, you panic a little when you're behind. If, that, if they were three goals up at that stage, there's talk between the two players, Mark, goal. Yep. But it's a panic. We've all done it Absolutely. at any level of footy. Um, and Adelaide were very lucky. And as Matty Clark said after the game, it was a game we pinched where we didn't play that well. Mm-hmm. And he was very open that North Melbourne were the better side. Yep. He also made the point, on the plateaus where mm-hmm. he's seeing Adelaide and he believes the plateau will go up yep. from here and that we'll play North Melbourne, likely to play North Melbourne here again in two in two weeks' time. Yep. So he was he was buoyant on he believed Adelaide had more improvement in them. Okay, that's the the coach being yep. the you know yeah, positive, positive influence, influence yep. and all that. But I reckon he sold it pretty well to the players. Yep. So I was there. Yep. While he was doing it, so yeah, I, I think he sold the message. Well, I think well. I think the other thing you've got to got to believe in, and 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 most of us have seen it in football or been involved in it with football, is that um, you are going to play not so well. Your opposition is going to play so good, and you just find a way to win. And I think Adelaide have done that a couple of times this year, where they've been able to just find a way into a game to put themselves in a position to win it. And on this occasion, they obviously came out on top, whereas the previous week against Brisbane, you know, they probably weren't in a position to, to win. They were playing okay without yeah. being great. Um, but again, they got themselves in a position. So I can sort of see why Matty Clark is buoyant about where, they, where they're where they going to be in the next couple of weeks. And that's probably even more applicable in women's footy because there's not so the huge number of goals kicked that you can still be in the game when... Te- you know, scoreboard-wise, you're mm. still in the game, where playing-wise, watching, you're not. Mm-hmm. And Adelaide were never in that game watching. Yep. But scoreboard-wise, they were still, you know, an outside chance. Then the goal from the 50 where uh, Pointer get, got collected high. And yep. Yeah, suddenly they were back in the game. I thought uh, Waterhouse was quite good too. Uh, you know, little pocket rocket, um, used her body very, very well. Um, you know, a little bump here and a little bump there, a little shepherd here. I think a kick uh, into the forward line, they're in good hands as far as uh, goal-scoring opportunities. And those two with defensive pressure. Mm. Yeah, they probably miss it. I, you know, Saint, who's gone to Port, miss her class up forward. There's no doubt about that. Yep. And look, they're not quite as technically as good as what they were. They've recruited well, yep. but they're not quite as good with who they've lost to Port. So that's brought them back a, a level. But in some ways, it, it's... Enjoyable. They're finding ways to win when they're not quite as yeah, good as they were. Absolutely. Marinoff, Ebony Marinoff, A-plus for effort. Yep. Her effort and intensity is great, but her kick still after all this time, 75 games, mm-hmm. is still really poor. And for mine, that she's a disappointment. Like we all, We've got Ebony up as one of the elite players of the competition. Yep. Well, I reckon you've got to be able to at least kick the ball to be an elite player. Mm-hmm. 
You know, if yeah, if the women footy want us all to follow it and yep. take it seriously, which we do. Yep. Is well, it, hang on. I reckon you've got to be a bit better than that. Is it a case of uh, a little bit of the the women's game initially when first sort of started? There wasn't, you know, changing the angles, kicking to specific players. Yeah. It was very much a down a, the line. A, yeah, a contested in and under type game, uh, clogged up, getting the ball, moving it on at all cost. She's still a little bit in that mentality, whereas now we're starting to see this transition of players. Yeah, I think that's fair. Where where players are looking at the angles and looking at changing and delivering to a a free player, you know, on the forty five or, or um, you know, switching switching play across the ground and and so on and so on. Whereas she's still a little bit of that in and under and get yeah. the ball and get it forward at all cost, which is. Territory was yeah. huge when 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 the AFLW yeah. first started. Whereas now, strategic the ball a bit more strategically, tactically moving forward is is certainly more important. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of yeah, both. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's yeah. fair. Uh, Port Adelaide, um, you know, really gave Hawthorne a, a a good run for their money. A little bit of wind, obviously, assisted down one end of the uh, Glen Ferry Oval there um, in Victoria. Um, Port continue to try and, and, and unearth a couple of really good players, but a couple of their uh, stalwarts or rec- uh, senior recruits obviously uh, standing up. Aaron Phillips, just unbelievable. Um, can't say anything more about yeah. her as far as that goes. Playing both ends of the ground at the moment and really the glue that's keeping Port Adelaide together in that in that sense. Yeah, it's going to be a slow build. Another two years' time and they get players like Rashid and that on their list, they're going to be a hell of a lot stronger. So it's, it's going to take time. All right, and we move on to round 10, Adelaide playing West Coast over in Perth. Yeah, predicted temperature at the time of the game at the moment is just a casual 37 degrees. So that will be a bit of a – which, let's be honest, a bit ridiculous. Yep. Like, But I'm sorry, the girls want serious coin, so it's a game generated purely by TV, in, TV industry. So unfortunately that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yep. But – yeah, four uh, forty-five. Uh, sorry, four thirty-five Adelaide time. So looking yeah. at about two o'clock two in the o'clock, afternoon. Yeah. So you're sort of uh, right in the thick of the heat. If it is, yeah. as you said, predicted uh, temperature of thirty-seven. So yeah, that's going to be very interesting as to see what uh, the AFLW rules are on that. Whether there is some sort of delay or uh, extra time that oh, is I'd given. Say to... be, I'd say there'll be. I'd say there'll be extra drinks breaks during the quarters. Yep, they'll stop. After half half the quarter, so it may well be become an eight quarter game. Okay. Effectively, yep. that's a potential th- uh, potential change. I admit I haven't checked. Well, let's let's see if we can get an answer on that while we while we continue to do the show. Yep, no problem. Uh, and then Port Adelaide, obviously, finishing off their season um, at Albert and Oval v- versus the Giants. So a really good opportunity to finish the year on a uh, on a high note. Yeah. Certainly a chance there. So seventeenth versus fifteenth. Yeah, um, Giants uh, are a little bit in the Port Adelaide mode of, you know, building on the run a little bit. Um, still a little ways to go. Um, you know, haven't really seen too much of the Giants to make too too many comments on that. But the positives probably of the last couple of weeks of sitting down and watching uh, Port Adelaide plays, you can just see that the system's starting to build a little bit. And I think this is a game that they'll desperately want to win in front of their home crowd. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. 
We'll be right back after this short break. Obviously, the Australian Pro Tour event tennis we talked about last week uh, being played here in Adelaide, and uh, the city of Playford didn't disappoint with uh, some of their matches. But uh, James Duckworth, uh, Australia's James Duckworth, uh, ended up uh, being the champion of the 2023 event. Uh, he has won the event, the event on uh, two other occasions, so this is his third um, victory here in Adelaide. So he obviously loves coming and playing um, and. The advantage of doing that is his uh, ranking is going to jump from uh, around about the 144 mark up to the 111 mark. So, uh, a significant push towards the top 100. Of course, the famous name Duckworth Lewis. Of, yes. Yeah, so it could have, uh, he could have called, the, called in there as well. So, yeah, no, nah, good luck to James. Absolutely. Uh, winning the title 7-5-7-5. He had to beat Rink, uh, Rinky Hitchikata in, uh, in a semi-final in three sets. So he didn't exactly... Um, do it the easy way, but looking at the Australian men's rankings at the moment, they've got nine players inside the top 100 with Duckworth obviously moving up, Close to it, yeah. uh, up towards that 100. He's around 111 at the, at the moment. Um, obviously, they're obviously playing in Sydney as part of the next uh, event. Yeah. If he does pretty well there, you could pretty much will guarantee that he'd be in the top 100 within probably the end of the month, which is... Then gets you into entering other events. Exactly and right. That, and, so. you know, as a 31-year-old, it's not like uh, yeah. time is uh, is on his side a little bit, but he seems to be peaking at the right time. And who knows, the next 18 months, yeah. he could, uh, you know, force his way into the top fi- uh, top 100, then maybe into the top 50. But, all you know, the best. obviously, uh, we wish him all the best. Uh, Alex Dimonor le- leading that list at 13, Popperin at 39, Purcell at 43, um, and Kokonakis at 67 with Hitchikata at 80. So there's some names there that we're going to get to know. We just need know. someone to take that next step into the top 10. You know, that's To be around the mark in majors and not us just hoping someone gets to the second week of a major. Yep. Like that's what we need. Is Almost expecting it a little a, bit. Be a chance to yep. actually win it. Yep. Uh, Astra Sharma uh, of Australia are going down in the women's uh, side of the event at the City of Playford um, to Taiwan's Joanna Garland. Uh, pretty one-sided affair, but um, you know, really good that the Australian contingent. Uh, I think through the quarters and the semis, there was quite a few Australians still in uh, yeah. in the event. So. Very, very good there from that point of view. All right, let's move on to basketball. Well, we did say it a few weeks ago that uh, it was all because of us that the 36ers yes. turned things around a little bit. A uh, little bit of a blip against um, South East Melbourne, but have really uh, done enough, I think, in the last couple of weeks to show that not only are they off the bottom of the ladder, but I think they're trending in the right direction with a lot of their positioning and, and, and their recruits too, that, you know, that the new recruiters come in put them sort of in a place where I think the pieces of the puzzle are just starting to fit together. I think Hope, that's hopefully there's more more consistency going to come and more gelling and all that. And, uh, yeah, Perth, Wildcats, you know, not, not their traditional, you know, they've always been around the mark mm. and getting booed off court in a home game. There's a few things always interesting over the, over the western, western side of the world for WA side stri- struggles. Yeah, they're either going yeah. very, very well or if they're not going so well, well they'll... They can they eat them turn, alive over there. Yeah, fair quite. Yeah. And we've sort of seen that, obviously, here with Adelaide and Port Adelaide. Yes. 
uh, in the football side of things, uh, not so much in too many other sports uh, as well. Uh, as you mentioned, Adelaide playing Perth uh, on the 4th of November. A really good chance to keep that winning feeling uh, on a roll at the moment. Hopefully, refereeing can be more interesting over the, over the, over there as well. But yeah, hopefully, yeah, continue. We'll Absolutely. See, we'll see. All right, and uh, soccer. We'll move on to soccer. The Matildas—they've really turned it on in their first two yeah. qualifiers. Um, obviously, their first game against Iran, um, playing. Some players that needed yeah. a little bit of game time, holding off on some stars that probably needed a little bit of a break. They then go to Perth Stadium with a sellout crowd of 60,000, 60 odd thousand, and uh, they turn on a, an absolute clinic. Uh, what was it? Eight, eight nil. So yeah, it was um, a cliffhanger at the opening kickoff. Yes, exactly. Uh, obviously, Kirk uh, with a, with a hat trick, uh, yeah. which is what everyone sort of came to see, see a little bit, yep. and we certainly saw it delivered um, in front of a WA home audience. Oh, absolutely, yeah. and I think that was that was important not only for her yeah. but I think for the crowd as well. All right, we'll go a little more local before we go yeah. international. Adelaide United sitting top of the table after winning uh, two from two, scoring nine goals and conceding none. Uh, yeah, and Gauchy saving a penalty against Melbourne City. Um, kept McLaren out, which mm-hmm. the gun for Melbourne City. And yeah, ending up winning 6 0 in just the last few minutes. I think they got three goals in the last 10 minutes. It was a more a footy score line yep. in the end. Um, so yeah, incredible result and sets it up for this week. Playing Melbourne victory, both, both teams on six points. Yep. Both teams have won both games. So yeah, real setting up for. The game of the round in the third round is, yeah, very much Adelaide and old-fashioned Adelaide say, and Melbourne the, United. Uh, the rivalry yeah. there, you know, adds a little bit of spice to the game as it is, but where they're positioned at the moment on the ladder and probably trying to, uh, you know, jockey for position early in the season yeah. to give them a little bit of breathing, breathing room if they need it. Um, but six goals uh, oh, in, in going, a game. And going local. Yep. Adelaide's gone local and young, and so far... Wow. Uh, we will talk about that right now. Uh, the uh, Nesta Irikondu well played, uh, shot yeah. on goal. Uh, I had to replay that three or four times yeah. to just understand how he did it and how the goalkeeper was bamboozled by the whole thing. It was just an unbelievable uh, shot at goal. It was a great goal, but I've got to admit, I'm not sure from watching in the end, especially the last couple of goals, I've... I reckon the Melbourne goalkeeper thought the net was there to stop him from having to go chase the ball. Like uh, he was keeping as well as you or me at the end. Pete. Yeah, so yeah. absolutely crazy. But like you said, uh, um, Carl Viet uh, obviously giving uh, opportunity to younger players, and um, it's paid paid dividends. Yeah. All right, let's go international. Um, our man Ange, um, we said it last week was a. A fantastic achievement yeah. that what he's done with Tottenham to, you know, sort of get them to top spot. And yeah, all right, there's a couple of games that, you know, might displace them from top spot, but uh, it didn't happen. And Tottenham are still top of the table in a 62 year first. They've scored 26 points from their first 10 games. Never ever done, been done in Premier League history. And they're singing and songs to Tottenham supporters. It is, you know. Easy in thing over in England at the moment. He he's he is literally walking on water. Absolutely, and he can do no wrong as yeah. far as I think he's empowered the players a little bit. We did talk about obviously them losing a couple of players, and uh, 
the balance now of the team looks pretty good and the results are, are speaking for themselves and gee, good luck for the rest of the season. And I really hope that they keep on this role because um, there's nothing better than seeing an Australian do well overseas. And that probably leads us into uh, past players, past legend guest, who uh, it will be Neil Craig, who um, we want to ask him obviously about his time abroad and with some international teams as well. So let's uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, Neil Craig. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Past players, past legends, past legends. We're indeed privileged tonight to welcome a true legend of South Australia and Australian football in Neil Craig uh, aboard. And if we read out all of Craigie's achievements, we'd still be here next week. But he's a winner in the Callum Tompkins medal. Uh, also premiership player, obviously, 75 and 78 at Nord. Sturt, best and fairest, uh, runner-up, advertiser team of the year, club captain, 85 and 86 uh, 11 games for South Australia, 84 state captain, overall 319 games, 220 goals. Uh, fitness guru at the Crows, obviously Crows coach, involved at several clubs. We'll carry that along the journey, but welcome aboard, Neil. Malcolm, uh, thanks for having me along, mate. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Neil. Um, like we, we generally like to start with most of our guests is we'd like to go back to sort of where it all began, whether you started playing um your junior football through your school, or was it for a local club, or and we'll yeah. go from there. Yeah, well, it started for me, Peter, back in uh, a country town called Maitland on York Peninsula. Uh, our family had a farm just out of Maitland, about uh, 14, 15 k's out of Maitland. Uh, but that was where I went to uh, to primary school, um, and uh, pretty much the Maitland Football Club was was my introduction to to, to Australian footy. And it was a it was a fantastic introduction as well. I I, I was only having a discussion the other day um, with someone and and um, and I just made mention of when I reflect back on those on those early days, you know, and I'm talking probably there as a ten, eleven, twelve year old, uh, just the sheer joy that uh, that I remember of of going to training, um, parents taking you to training, you know, the, the session was once a week. Uh, just couldn't wait to get there. The fun and the absolute joy that they provided. Um, so I played with Maitland. I played for the sort of the junior Colts, um, which was I think them was under fourteen. Would have been under fourteens back in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of I think I played my first game in the junior Colts as a maybe a ten or eleven year old. I came off the bench. I, me- I remember the coach saying to me, "I want you to go to the, into the forward pocket." And I remember, yep, I'm, I'm in, I'm running out, and I, I had no idea where the forward pocket was. So I came, I, I ran back and said, "Where is the forward pocket?" <laughs> and, uh, um, but those, that's that's where it all started uh, for me, Peter. And then, um, as a 13 year old, I um, I was I was lucky enough. I was coming to I was coming down to Adelaide anyway to uh, to go to school, as secondary schooling. Uh, which was sort of part of um, what our family did um, after after primary school. We we uh, most of the, uh, my brothers and my sister came came down to Adelaide, um, so I was no different. I was lucky enough to be um, to be sort of recruited, if you like, 
by the Norwood Football Club. Uh, I remember a guy called Max Goodyear came across and yep. um, visited our, our farm and our house, and and um, you know I, I just couldn't I, I couldn't wait to get to Adelaide because it's um, I mean I, I just had a real passion for footy. Uh, I was coming to Adelaide anyway, and uh, to be involved in a in a place called Carmel Court, you yes. know, where there was a whole range. I think it was that had the capacity to hold about twenty two recruits, you know, all with a with a uh, a want a desire a passion to to play league football for the North Football Club. So I, I was in my absolute element. The only, the only problem with that, Peter, of course, I, as a 13-year-old, the next I was the youngest and the next oldest guy was 17. So yeah, I was, was going to ask you about that, Craggy. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there was a lot of lot of uh, good experiences going on, you know, in those early days as a 13-year-old uh, mixing with 17-year-olds. Um, but, you know... You have different phases in your life, but that that period from 17 to probably uh, 17 or 18 years of age when I was at Carmel Court was some of the best years of my life. Absolute, just absolute fun and enjoyment and stimulation, um, you know, and just to be in an environment where everyone had this passion to play, um, you know, in the league side in the SANFL with Norwood. Uh, and so we'd train together, we'd go out together, we'd eat together. Um, socialised together. Uh, it was just, it was just a fantastic environment, you know. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it sort of wouldn't wouldn't be able to survive now, but it did back in those days because you you could recruit from anywhere in the state. You know, still had yeah, yeah. And it was probably ahead of its, it was probably ahead of its time. And you you think of the players who bought it, who lived at Carmel Court. You know, Michael Taylor, Neil Button, John Wynn, Ian Stasinowski, Danny Jenkins, Greg Turbel. Yeah, you know, the late Jim Till, late Glenn Rosser. It's yes, yeah, yeah. they're not just. Yeah. Um, it was. It was it's, uh, it's the elite. It's it's the elite of Australian footy. There, we're not talking <laughs> just. Right. You know, we're not talking. Yes, yeah. Well, in, in different ways. <laughs> in different ways. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. If but only those yeah. walls could talk at Carmel Court. Yes. <laughs> Thank God they don't talk, yes, mate. Yes. But you see, in terms of the, you know, for want of a better word, the success rate, you know, of the guys yeah. that went through Carmel Court and the number of guys that went. Went on to play, uh, you know, league footy for Norwood. Uh, it was just a huge success. Yeah. Um, so a huge success for the club, and it just gave so many young guys an unbelievable experience as well. So it was it was a win win. It was a fantastic uh, it was a fantastic time for me and, and uh, to be at the Norwood Football Club. And I scored for Kenzie uh, Kenzie Cricket Club as a kid, Pete. And so in summer, I'm scoring in cricket and. At Parkinson Oval, the oval up the top was the hockey oval, and there was Phil Carmen, Neil Craig, and Robert, the late Robert Odie, training together, and it was unbelievable to watch. If Ross Dillon was playing cricket for Kenzie, there was a few more of the Nord guys came out, but it was just generally watching these two freak elite athletes who are well ahead of their time, and just pushing the crap out of each other. And Robert Odie willing himself to keep going to keep up with you two lunatics. It was incredible <laughs> to watch, Craigie. Yeah. I, I really mean that. Yeah. So And, that, and, and sort of the, the, the environment sort of created that, uh, Malcolm, you know, like because um, Phil, Phil Carmen, of course, was at Carmel Court and yes. his mum and his his mum was yep. there. She was sort and, of, uh, yep. and, and Carmen. And Gil Butchard's mum was there yes. as well. Um, so they, they had the job of looking after us all uh, and what a job that was, but – uh, Margaret Butcher, just, yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, 
you know, and we used to go up to Kensington Gardens and we, we'd go up there and train and uh, at the drop of a hat and we'd just get a group of guys and you go up and you, you know, you create your own little games or your marking contest or it was just, it was just a classical, uh, fantastic environment. Uh, and of course, you know, you talk about ahead of your time, like Phil Carmen was ahead yeah. of his time, oh. the way he went about his footy and, and we know, um, you know, we know the career that he had. So it was, uh, you know, to, to be able to train with Phil uh and uh, and be part of all that was was a, was a great experience for me well phil phil held held athletic records at pembroke, at pembroke for mm. over 30 years and there's people in the athletics game industry if you want to call it in the know who are who are adamant that phil wouldn't have only been an olympian that they, he would have medaled in the, as a deca- in the decathlon um was was how phil was regarded athletics wise yeah. and yeah. Geez, you, you you gave him more than competition, Craig. As I said, I, I was in awe watching watching uh, you two do during that. Now, Craig, so your junior career at Nord got a you know a touch of success. So I'm trying you, you in winning the McCallum uh, medal, the Seventeens, and then the next year the Nineteens McCallum medal. I think you're the only person to do that in SNFL history, but I I mm. haven't got that for sure on that. But I think you were. Seventy-three, you leg the boost. So you, you, you're well and truly the, you know, everyone at Nord. Hey, this kid's coming, and this kid can play, and very switched on right from before day one. Um, just obviously, Carmel Court playing a part in that, and then you, you know, you made your leg league debut. Yep. And then go for it, and then you've ended up really extremely young as a pair of Rovers. Normally it was sort of, you know, one with an experienced other one, but it was you and Turbs together yeah. were our Rovers in the 75 Premiership side. And, yeah, who and both of you more than played your role. Can I ask uh, who you debuted against? Uh, I think I debuted at Adelaide Oval against Central Districts. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Yep. Um, and the reason I say that, Pete, is because I just remember – how fast the game was! Oh, it just it was that was the thing I took out of it. That's just the speed of the game. Um, uh, as, as like anything, you adjust to it. And it was like when I played my first state game, the thing that stood out to me yeah. was just the, the speed. You know that that things happen. So uh, yeah, so that was sort of back in the early seventies. And you mentioned uh, Greg Turbull, who was also at Carmel Court. Yep. Um, I know, think you and, might have studied a bit more at Nord High than Turbs did, though, Craigie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I mean, wasn't he a great player? Greg yes. Turbo. Oh, oh, unbelievable. So once again, it's just another, uh, just another player that came through the Carmel Court system. Um, and even Nord High wise, Pete, I was in first year in the Nord High side in '75 of G. Turt, uh, N. Craig, uh, Jim Derrington, David Palm, uh, uh, Ray right. Ray yeah, Laddams, yeah, uh, Michael <laughs> Holiday, yeah, uh, G. The Older Hall. Uh, Bo- Trying to think of his first name, not John Hall's older brother, Bob Robert, I think. Um, yeah, and Nord High won the uh, state ch- state championships. I reckon it was against Henley at Footy, and we all went down on the bus on the buses to Footy Park. So it's certainly yeah. that's a, that's a memory as well. Uh, Jeez, you've got a good memory. You've got a yes. good memory now. I've got a better memory yes. than I got on yes. that one. But um, yeah, so I mean, we used to walk up to Nord High from Carmel Court. Yeah. Carmel Court was just down in Kensington Garden. So uh, you know, was a, there was a bunch of us that would walk up there. And uh, you know, once again, back in those days, you train one, two, three, four times a day. Like you train, uh, you'd, you'd have kick the kick before school, 
You'd have kick the kick at recess time. You'd have yeah. kick the kick at now at lunch time. You'd have kick the kick at afternoon recess, and then you'd have another go at the end of the day. You know, so um, it just uh, you were just in this environment, and all you wanted to do was play and train and and become as good as you can. And it was all fun. You know, it was just absolutely fun to be to be part of it. So. Yeah, Cumble Court Nord High days, great memories. And as Malcolm was alluding to, that uh, obviously you teamed up with uh, Turbs for the 75 uh, grand final there and some memories? Yeah, 75 uh, against Glenelg, well, I think it was. Yes, 9, 10 to 7, um, 10, Craigie. Yeah. Um, Fred Filler, six points with those lovely golden boots, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so 70, 75 and 78 were – well, yeah. 78 was a different year again. It was against Sturt, you yep. know, in a famous game, really. Yep. Um, 16-15 yeah. to 14-26. Yeah. <laughs> See, you're on the money. Uh, yeah, so, so Turbs and I, we, we would have been, what, 18 years of age, I guess, yeah. back in those days. Um, uh, in that first premiership, I think, 18, 19 or something like that. So uh, once again, you know, we're lucky enough. To uh, to be involved in a club that sort of when I first started it was it was rebuilding through through Robert Odie um, and and Wally Miller um, you know that sort of just basically through all the recruiting Carmel Court had reset the club uh, then Bob Hammond came in and sort of um, took over you know in would have been the probably mid seventies you know seventy four was his first year. Like yeah. 74 yeah, was Bob's first yeah. year. And and sort of uh, and that sort of kick started, you know, a very successful era for the Nord Footy Club. Um, from there onwards for you know, for long for a long period of time. Seventy three though, it's it's where Robert Odie's so unlucky. That game against the, the final against North, you know Yeah. Controversial free kick paid to Neil, Neil uh, Dennis Dennis Sachs, sorry. And even then the ball goes out on the full and rebounded straight off the wall back to Barry Stringer to play on. Like normally, if the ball hits a wall, it's not going to go straight back to the player standing there. <laughs> no, it goes anywhere else. Yep. So yeah, yeah it, the fine as we know, it's such a fine line. And we all we'll get to this later on your coaching, but we all go. We pick the hell out of everything instead of it is such a fine line in the end yeah, yeah, for yeah, really yeah. for this the bullshit of he you know he's hopeless he can't coach and he's a genius. It's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, even uh, you know, as you're talking now, Malcolm. I mean, my my, my memory goes to uh, uh, the St Kilda Footy Club. You know, with I think Ross Lyon at the bouncing yeah. ball, like that. That yeah. ball just yeah. normally sits, you know, as, as it yep. normally would. Uh, they win a grand final. Yeah, but it, it just so you, you, I mean, it's and that's why you've just got to you know, with all that sort of. Um, all those sort of games, you just got to be quite uh, unemotional towards it, and just as you said, it's uh, it's sometimes it just comes down to luck, you know. And so, um, anyway, that's that's what it is, and that's uh, you know that, that's that's high performance sport, or any sport really, but high performance sport is what we're talking about. So, seventy seven, Craigie, you you win the best, you you win the best and fairest, most McGarry Medal votes, state representative, advertiser team of the year, and also. A member of almost what for me is the forgotten premiership at Nord, the Art of Cup premiership side against East Perth, playing against um, McCowcheck, Melrose, Kelly, Glenn Denning. It was a fair opposition and it was a, a, a great game. And I just reckon that gets glossed over a bit of what 
that achievement was. And and I know Jonathan Francis feels uh, Winnie feels the same on that one too. It was it was an achievement, probably which hurt a bit at the end of the year because, as Wally said, we lost Jim Till getting injured and against the Canberra side a night game. To, it probably hurt us in the end, but it wasn't a, a big. That wasn't a significant achievement as well. Yeah. Why? So just just refresh my memory there, man. Was that the Art of Cup? Yes, the Art of yeah. Cup. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. So it's just a long time ago. Um, but uh, I remember those games, and I remember. I reckon it would have been in '78 when the the Premiership side of uh, the states. Like I remember us playing North Melbourne. Yeah. Yep. That was in '78. Um, yep. Uh, you know, at the end of the year, um, and playing against guys like Croswell and and Malcolm Blight, um, you know Barry Cable, these sort of that that Glendinning and those sort of yeah. quality players. So when you look back on it, like uh, the, the competition, even though we've got a national competition now, like the level of play back then, you know, uh, you could still you were still getting exposed to a high level of competition, yeah. uh, not only in your state, but also at the end of the year when you play against, you know, in those Art of Cups and, and the, the premiers from, from each state. Oh, there wasn't the, there wasn't the big gap that a lot of Victorians try to think there was as well either. But we'll keep, we'll keep going on that one, Craig, because that's a, yeah. another subject of which, you know, I feel pretty strongly about we're, as well. I think we're all passionate yes, about that one, mate. Yes, um, 78, uh, some fond memories, obviously, winning the grand final there, but... Just talk a little bit, a little bit about the '78 Grand Final, where Sturt sort of left the door ajar and um, yeah. took full advantage. Yeah, well, they did. Um, I think uh, I forget the number of shots they had on goal up to half time, but yeah, you know, they, if 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 you were in their camp, you'd say that that's a game that got away from them. Oh, very much um, so. Yeah, uh, but you know, that's once again, that's that's the way the game unfolded and uh, our capacity. The, the door was ajar and for our capacity to, to keep coming and, and to keep competitive and keep our competitive spirit and all of a sudden the game turned and it was sort of uh, particularly the last quarter I still remember the, you could you could sense the swing in momentum yeah um, you know coming back to the Nord to, to us as a, as a club and uh, um, Sturt just couldn't couldn't get the momentum back so you know, a big loss for the Sturt Footy Club because I, I don't think they they hardly lost a game that year. Yeah, they lost one game, Craggy. They were unbelievable that year, mm. Sturt. Yeah, you know. so th- they were clearly the best team that year. Um, you know, over the journey, uh, but just couldn't quite get the job done on the, on the day. So, I mean, that was a, that was a famous win for the Nord. And you, Club. you as a fellow Nord High person, won't believe this, but bloody Nord High made us go on a school camp. I missed the grand final. I've heard this story. For a freaking school camp, Craig. You, you, you yeah. reckon? Yeah, you reckon I'm dirty. He's dirty, isn't he? he yeah, is. yeah. I'm he's still dead. more dirty on that than any other loss. You know? so, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's 46 years yeah. ago. You're 45 years ago now. He's got a he's got an attitude problem. Oh. Him. He's got, he's got a, he needs a bit of he needs some therapy. I, I reckon with a few of our previous guests, we've I reckon we've heard this story three times. So yeah. maybe this is. <laughs> The therapy, oh, maybe Craig. it's a bit cathartic. <laughs> Craigie, though, was a Nord High. Palmy, I sort of had to tread a bit carefully there because he didn't get picked in the 78 side and he should have. So I had to tread yep. a little bit Fair more call. carefully there with Palmy than I would have. So, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. They were great days. They were, they were fantastic days. It's, it's really good talking about them. So, you know, bring back so many fond memories. Okay. Now, your decision then to go to Sturt, Craigie, there's always been a 
big mountain made that you had big fallouts and all that. And yeah. Let's just yeah. just write that a bit, a bit craggy. Go for it. No, what I see is it's really interesting when I when I reflect back on it, uh, Malcolm. Certainly, the 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 pull for the Sturt Football Club um, was Jack Ogie. Yeah. You know, and and I don't know why it was sort of. Um, uh, I mean, we've obviously played against Sturt. Um, you know, when I was at Nord, um, uh, and I don't know whether it was by fate or the you know the capacity of me. And at the time, I, I wasn't thinking of coaching, but just the way it fell. But I just, I just had this uh, want and desire to. Oh, I reckon with you, Craig, it was always in your back of your head. I reckon. Well, maybe. Yeah, you? I don't know, but. Um, um, and it was just this uh, desire to to play under Jack Odie because I mean Robert, his son, um, you know, was probably was my first league coach yep. um, when he was at when you know when he was coaching Norwood, and so uh, and so the the way I think in terms of uh, AFL football or, or football, Malcolm and Peter has, has been strongly influenced by the Odie family. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, so there was that. It was just that desire to to play under Jack, uh, and and I wasn't disappointed. So when I got there, he was everything that I thought he would have been. You know, um, and you know it was it was fantastic to 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 play under Jack, um, and to be exposed to his uh, football intellect, if you like, and the way he went about it, his coaching philosophy. Um, I didn't play there. He wasn't there a long period of time. I think it was only about two or three years that Jack was there uh, before he finished. Yeah. And then John John Halbert took over. Yeah, then Jack, then Jack Halbert. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so you know, it, it satisfied that desire. Uh, and then, of course, I went to North Adelaide. Yep. Um, you know, which is which is that was sort of uh, Mike Noonan was coaching North, um, and that that was towards really the end of my career. Um, and the, and the, the beauty of it all, you know, is um, is my capacity or for when Wally Miller asked me to come back to Norwood. Yeah. Um, at the end of my uh, at the end of my playing career, and that was in hindsight, and once again, how lucky have I been? Uh, Wally making that phone call to me and asking me whether I'd be interested in coaching the Norwood Footy Club with with no coaching experience at all. Um, I mean, it was. It was a, it was, it was something that brought me back to Norwood, and so when you, when I went, what I felt from going to Norwood to Sturt to North, um, you know, they were all great experiences, and uh, you know, I wouldn't change it if I had my time again because it was, it was good to get exposed to different. No, we just wouldn't bloody clear your stuff here. We no. keep you at Norwood, mate. <laughs> you what, cost what, us the eighty. You cost feel. us the eighty premiership, Craigie. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> what I did feel. Uh, at the end of my playing career, as like a bit of a nomad, like I didn't sort yeah. of belong anywhere, and so um, coming back to Nord as as a senior coach, um, not only did it give me an opportunity to start my coaching career, but it gave me a, a sense of belonging again. It sort of brought me back to where it started, and that was that was one of the biggest gifts that the Nord Football Club gave me. Was, yeah, you've been very that. strong on that, Craig. You you've made the point. Your Barmy makes the point that Nord's his club, and you, you you're very strong on that now. That probably come to the realization there, and hey, looking back and and all that. Yep, that's my yeah, that's my club, and that that's really yeah. important to you to you. And I'm, I think as Nord people, we appreciate that as well. Yeah, it is. I, I do feel that very strongly, Malcolm. Um, and I'm very appreciative of 
of of the the opportunity one that Norwood gave me to play there, but more and probably more importantly to coach there. Um, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I remember after I was appointed, it was a couple of days afterwards. I, for some reason, I was living over in Hawthorne, and I and I just jumped on my bike and, and just rode down to the to the footy club while he'd given me a key to get in, you know. And I just I just went into change rooms. I just sat there and I and I just looked. I just looked at the walls. I looked at the ceiling, and I just Photos, couldn't believe yeah. that I was, um, you know, I'm now sort of the the senior coach of the Nord Footy Club. So, um, so you know, yeah, that, that was a great gift that the club gave me, and and I'm very, 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 very much appreciative of that opportunity. And that's not taking anything away from Sturt North Adelaide, of course. No, not um, at all. No, no, and I enjoyed my time absolutely there at, at those clubs and. Uh, this, this was sort of a, a bigger picture, Pete. Like this is a yeah. bigger, um, yeah, uh, a bigger sort of sense of belonging, if you like. How did you cope? And so you also played in the most infamous SNFL Grand Final, the one goal North Adelaide Grand Final. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a, it. Was a bizarre day, you know. We all turned up turned up as neutrals that day. I actually was. Look, I'll be honest. I go to a Grand Final as a neutral. I'm yeah, ho hum. I was actually looking forward to the game. I, I thought. This should be a bloody good game. Yep. The games between them during the year have been yeah. fantastic, and then it was just an, a bizarre day where North were terrible. Yeah, Port were good, but North were terrible, and yeah, it was it was really weird. Yeah, yeah it was it, 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 bizarre day is the best way to describe it. I mean, and it, because in a, in a grand final, when you sort of supposedly let's say let's assume that you have got the two best teams for the year, yeah, you know, in in the in the grand final that. Normally, that's a, a fairly close defensive type of, you know, a game. Um, I think it was nearly about the twenty-minute mark of the last quarter. Like we, we still hadn't kicked a goal. Yeah. Poor, um, poor Craig Burton's remembered as, Craig the, Burton, per, yeah. as the guy kicked the mm. goal. Yeah. Yeah. Craig yeah. said to me, oh, "He almost would have been better if we hadn't kicked the goal. It'd be less, <laughs> less I'm spoken about, sort of thing." Yeah. So, I mean, that that in itself would is, is a famous grand final, you know. Yeah. Because because how bizarre it was, and so. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it? So you you get to experience the absolute euphoria of uh, of the Norwood Sturt Grand Final, yeah. You know? um, and then you um, you know you also uh, have the experience of playing in a Grand Final where at the twenty minute mark of the last quarter that the team you're playing in uh, you you haven't kicked the goal yet. You know, so you talk about the highs and lows of, of sport, um, uh, and that's what I mean by I have no regrets from going from one yeah. club to the other. Um, because you you, you 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 get those different experiences. And as you said, the euphoric of seventy eight, and it had been preceded by the relief of seventy five. You know, the twenty five years, people. You know, I was twelve at the grand final, and I was just watching people and and observing quietly, and that. And there were people just crying and saying, you know, yeah, I, I can go now, and that sort of reaction, and and it was incredible, but. Incredible relief. I will be honest. The lady standing next to the old man grabbed him and kissed him, and the siren went. And I said, "Geez, that's an upgrade, Dad." Yeah, <laughs> Mum wasn't really happy with that line, but ah, uh, well. Um, but it was. It, I'm sure. You know, I've spoken to a guy, you know, King Owen, and that when he said it was just watching people back at the club. Just it was yeah. the yeah. the emotion. It went. It meant so much that we'd finally won a flag. Where in '78, it was the year of euphoria of winning by a point of coming from nowhere and uh, and, yeah. that, and that side yeah. of things. Yeah. So, 
what does that tell you? What that what that tells you, Malcolm and Peter, is that um, it's the impact the impact of sport and and these uh, and now we're talking about the SNFL clubs, uh, but you see it all over the world. Like it's uh, the the absolute joy um, that that sort of you start to realise and the responsibility you have when you get involved in these clubs, particularly when you're sort of involved from the coaching perspective. Um, and as a senior coach, you, you start to you start to get faced with and you start to understand the responsibility that you have because of the impact that it has on people. Like it just it dictates their lives, their, the emotion of a week-to-week situation. And as you said, you know, Nord winning the 1975, like the absolute joy and relief that that brought to to the to the supporters of the Norwood Footy Club, um, and I, I and I and I felt and I felt that when I coached Norwood, and and I felt the same when I coached the Adelaide Football Club, like uh, the the sense of responsibility that you had because of the impact it can have on on a on a town really. So yeah, yep. Um, it's uh, it's bigger than sport in some in some ways. Yeah, that's probably the best way to describe it. Now, I know we jumped a little bit ahead in talking a little bit about your coaching with Nord, but uh, was there any uh, interest from the, uh, the VFL? Uh, a lot of uh, past guests have talked about how they had to weigh up a few decisions to go, and some did and some didn't. But uh, for yourself, were you, were you keen on playing VFL or um, well, not? Well, I think, I think this is, once again, I'm just uh, I'm backing Foots, my memory. Footscray. Yeah, yeah, I reckon... Um, I reckon it was uh, the, nearly the first the first draft that came in. Uh, it would have been the early 80s. Yeah, it was certainly one of the first. Yeah. 81 or 82 yeah. or something, which was sort of the, for some reason, that was, the, that was when the, the sort of draft system all over Australia started. And I remember waking up one morning and picking up the, um, the advertiser and reading that I'd been drafted to the Footscray Football Club. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was no contact um, previous, there was no previous enough. contact or you know discussion or phone. You just you just got selected. <laughs> so and so what happened is that uh, uh, once I learnt that I'd been drafted, um, there was some discussion and I went over there and I actually a guy called Shane O'Sullivan um, was that was at Footscray at that time. Yeah. Um, who's uh, famous over here in, in terms of uh, with the Carlton Footy Club. Yes, and, that's right. Uh, Brisbane Bears and, and also the uh, Footscray. Like, Shane actually gave Mick, Mike Moldhouse the opportunity to coach. Yep. He went on to be the, you know, coach more games than anyone in the history of the game. So Shane's got a big part of history. But um, in the end, uh, my decision was not to go. Um, why? Uh, I was I was at university. Uh, my wife at that time was had a teaching job. Um, I mean, financially, it, it wasn't a it wasn't a, a huge difference between what was being offered in the in the in the in the VFL then mm-hmm. versus what you know you could generate here. I mean, there was a there was a gap, but it wasn't you know it wasn't a huge gap. Um, and so, and I was enjoying my footy here. Uh, so, and, and I think, you know, at that time there were state games and maybe state of origin were starting to come in. So you still got that, that level of competition. So I just, I just made a decision rightly or wrongly not to go. Um, uh, so, and I have no regrets whatsoever. 
None whatsoever. Liking this podcast? Please like, rate, and subscribe. We've just been talking with Neil Craig, and um, wow, what a what a career! I mean, we've had a few guests that that have been on the program uh, where we could have really reeled out their stats, and that could have been the entire show. And to see him go from obviously, um, you know, a, a youngster from the country coming, obviously playing at Norwood, uh, enjoying his time at Sturt and North Adelaide. Uh, and then moving on, obviously, with the sports science, not only in football but other sports as well. Just absolutely fascinating interview. And because of the length of that interview, we, we I think we're going to have to break that one up over a, a week or two to, yeah. to sort of fit it all in. Oh, Craig is a fascinating he's, – he's a genius. Look, and it was ironically when I, re, when I was writing my book, it was really where I got to know Neil, I, I approached him actually at – Glenn Ross's funeral and asking, you know, just saying hello and then, and yep, love what you write, Malcolm, give me a call. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed him for over five hours for that, for that article. And I reckon I made more notes on Craigie than everyone else put together. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you saw from the first time you spoke and repeat that he is a fascinating person. He listens to a question, he addresses the person and then uh, thinks through his answers. And, yeah, look, every time you talk to Neil Craig, you learn something. It's probably my way of summing up Craigie. Absolutely. Uh, we probably could have gone for five hours with uh, Craigie oh, on, on the podcast. We were able to sort of get it down to about an hour and a half or just over an hour and a half, um, and that's the reason why we will we'll split it up a little bit. But, um, yeah, his, his ability to... Um, taken recognized from certain people along along the journey was very very fascinating as far as that you know he was you know he went to Sturt to, to learn off of uh, the Odie family and he makes mention of that 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 was uh, part and parcel of it his time at Carmel Court obviously with uh, some of the Nord players and just that culture and everything Trust me, that he built there. An, we could do an episode on Carmel Court. <laughs> we might be allowed to, but yep. we could do one. May not go to air. Yeah. Um, and then obviously then moving on to the Olympics and just sort of understanding the, uh, the the dynamics of the Olympics and how that sort of works. And, you know, I did ask the question that, you know, did he get a chance to sort of get around and see a few other sports and learn from it? But as he said, you, you're sort of there for your sport and you uh, you end up um, sort of not wanting to get in the way a little bit, yeah, but you also was, don't have to, you don't have time. It was interesting, Craigie's answer there, where mm. you thought, yeah, actually that does make sense because I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Okay. My sport's over. You beauty, you'd be out and about with everything. But you can know, you can see where Craigie was coming from, well Absolutely. and truly on that. And then obviously his uh, recent um, uh, job with the English uh, rugby side um, uh, coming to an end. Uh, obviously Eddie Jones, uh, his relationship with Eddie while he yeah. was obviously in England as well. Um, very very interesting that uh, transferring skills. Uh, mindset skills mainly uh, from sport to sport uh, rather than always technical skills, which was very fascinating as well. Yeah, we did speak a little bit about him teaching the rugby players how, how to mark and I, mm. I discussed that with Neil Neil on another time and he said it was interesting with some of the rugby guys. Hang on. Huh? Yeah. How do you do so, that? Yeah. 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 Uh, we thank Neil for his time, uh, obviously uh, trying to get him on the phone at uh, at, at times. Uh, could have been difficult, but he was willing enough no, was uh, to give us our, our time tonight and uh, and really give us some good insights into 
not only his career but his coaching and his philosophies, which was fantastic. All right, let's get on to Happy Days. Happy Days. All right, we'll kick off Happy Days with Happy Birthday to a player. I know as soon as you would have seen this on the run sheet, you'd have been smiling from ear to ear, and that is James Aish, uh, Brisbane, Collingwood, and Fremantle. Yeah, he might get a message. He might have already got a message uh, from the person who's speaking at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, look, person I've got a lot of time for, uh, the Aish family, son of Andrew, um, Kept his record intact last year. Still yet to play in a losing game at Nord, mm-hmm. of which I ended up letting the. As I finished and walked through last year, ironically I walked in the walkway where Justin Longmuir and Bobby Murphy were there, and and talked to those two about it. And both and Bobby Mur- Murphy was yeah, he was quite amusing. He goes, I could certainly never claim that about Whitnoval. And, <laughs> yep. uh, and, yeah, Longmuir was blow, blown away. He said, no, I didn't know a thing about that. And mm-hmm. So then went up to James and, yeah, bloody Malcolm. Rah, rah, rah. Yes. Yeah, so it was quite funny. And that uh, James uh, obviously drafted in 2013. Aish uh, broke a South Australian or SNFL record by becoming the youngest North player in 134 years to debut at the level at the age of 16. Yes, might have been a game at Nord. First game I took my son to when he wanted to go out the Oval and have a kick to kick. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just actually had that answer from uh, Phil Harper. There's more drink breaks and more drink carriers as well. Right, for the AFLW. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, so thanks, Phil Harper, there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, James, so my son wanted to go out the Oval and still had Andrew and so I'm just going, come, have a kick. And I said, Dan, I obviously knew James. Mm-hmm. Have a kick in the sun and yep. go back afterwards. And what was that like, Daniel? I said, yeah, I, I was I was shit, but that other kid's pretty good. <laughs> I said, yeah, that other kid's probably the best kid in his age group at Australia, mate. It wasn't that much long afterwards the game. I said, uh, hey, Daniel, remember that kid you had to kick the ball with? Yeah, that's him playing. He went, oh, my God. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he was 16 and his yeah. SNF Debut, as we said, for Norwood, uh, then ended up playing in the uh, 2012 and 2013 yeah. Premiership, back-to-back Premierships with Norwood. Uh, Aish received an All-Australian Honours, uh, sorry, under-18 All-Australian Honours, both in 2012 and 2013. He was drafted with the Lions with the first selection pick at number seven. Yeah, looked like he was going to be a Bulldog that morning and things changed, ended up there, and then, yeah, let's just say something Brisbane could have done a lot better. I'll mm-hmm. leave it at that. Mm-hmm. At Collingwood, certainly Nathan Buckley didn't want him to leave. That was salary cap. He was yep. forced out in that way. Yep. And yeah, he's been good he's been good at free you know, he's been pretty consistent at Frio and, the, and that. And the so. connection obviously with Longmuir being being at Collingwood yes. at the time, yes. I'm sure played a little bit it of a, a a part in that. Um what can you say? Uh like you said, you know, a lot of time and respect for the Aish family. And James, uh, we wish him a happy birthday, I think, at the end of this week. Um, you know, that um, that uh, he enjoys his birthday and good luck to him for the uh, upcoming season uh, for Fremantle. Yeah, very much so. All right, we move on. 1987, Rugby Union New Zealand, the All Blacks, create Rugby Union International World Record score when they beat Japan 106-4. to four at the National Stadium in Tokyo. 
You know what I reckon is the most surprising thing about that scoreline? Was that it wasn't 106 nil. Yep. It's probably surprising that the, that Japan scored. Yes. Um, it's an incredible scoreline, but I'm actually more blown away that it wasn't 106 nil. Yep. And especially with, you know, you think about rugby and you think New Zealand uh, very, very dominant in in most tournaments that they play in and most matches that they play in. But playing away from home, uh, racking up the ton is a pretty fair effort and um, well done to New Zealand on that occasion. All right, we move on to basketball. 1996, Los Angeles Lakers superstar Kobe Bryant uh, becomes then the youngest player to make his NBA debut at 18 years, 2 months and 11 days in a 91-85 win over the Minnesota Timberwolves at the Great Western Forum. Yeah, absolute superstar. Yeah, can't say anything more. Yeah. One, one of those players that is always going to be in discussion for the best of all time, yep. but unfortunately um, yeah. uh, losing his life tragically yeah. there and, um, you know, um, will fondly be remembered. All right, yeah. let's move on to tennis. 1994, uh, tennis, American tennis star... Venus Williams makes her professional debut at 14 years of age with a 6-3, 6-4 win to uh, win overcome the NCAA championship uh, and world number 58, Shauna, Shauna Stafford yep. in the Burbank West Classic in Oakland in California. Certainly up there with female tennis, certainly Right up there. If she's not number one, she's in the debate. I, I think she's number one. Absolutely. But, yeah. Absolutely. And obviously, a little bit of a theme there. Uh, you know, youngest players, uh, James Aish a little bit earlier on, uh, Venus Williams, yep. uh, making their make, making their mark at a very young age. Incredible and age. This is what we're, uh, we're hoping will start to happen in those respective sports in the near future. And we finish off with, obviously, horse racing. Melbourne Cup won by Prince of Penzance, ridden yep. by Michelle Payne, the first female jockey to win the event. Yeah, it was huge, that. It was emotional. I think even those of us who aren't real big racing people really got engrossed in that, and it was it was an incredible. You know, the odds and all that as well. The first female winner, mm-hmm. her brother as the strapper. Yes. And that. It, was, it was fantastic. Uh, just on a little side note there, that uh, Damien Oliver, I think, is hanging up the boots yeah. after the uh, the carnival. So, um, what a career he's had, and I'm sure we'll talk about him as as mm. we go along. All right, let's get into the extra time big finish. Extra time big finish. All right, we'll quickly kick it off with baseball. We have our World Series teams. The divisional finals were obviously won by Arizona and Texas. The series is currently tied at one all. I slightly favour Arizona myself um, for the uh, World Series at, at this stage, but home ground advantage is huge. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's yeah, it may go the whole way. We'll obviously go wait and see. And it's yeah, Fr- it's freshing seeing different teams. Absolutely, we probably don't really know that. Much about them, even you more as a baseball person yes. than me. You know, like, yeah, so. it, it is great to see some fresh teams. I think yeah. the we did talk a little bit about how the the, the uh, broadcasters would be a little bit a little bit disappointed that some of these newer teams are obviously making their mark. But if if it gets tight at you know two games all or uh, yeah. you know goes to a game set, I, I think that 
it's going to go through the roof and there's yeah. going to be huge interest. So we'll see this, we'll work, wait to see how that plays out over the next couple of weeks and we'll follow up on it. All right. Well, we did talk about horse racing briefly in the in our previous uh, segment, but we'll touch on it again. Uh, Will Hayes, obviously, we talked about last yeah. week, ditching his career, obviously, uh, to join his brothers, saddling up in the Cox Plate, but unfortunately, finishing second in one of the all time classic yeah. Cox Plates. Yeah, it was. And it was a, you know, that old fashioned line of, you know, bees dick go away. Yep. Um, yeah, it was a great finish, great race. Again, even non. Yes. Or the non, you know, the passive follower of horse racing still loves the big events like the Cox Plate. Yep. And it was a great race. Obviously pipped at the post. Uh, yeah. You could use any analogy that you yes. want there. Um, so, yes, uh, well done. Uh, obviously coming second is no, no, um, nothing to sneeze at. And the Hayes family have uh, certainly been around the, uh, the traps for quite some time. Yeah. So Will's in some pretty good hands there. All right, we move on to car racing. Uh, Oscar Piastri forced to move aside for a teammate uh, and then ends up finishing eighth mm. in the Grand Prix at Mexico. What are your thoughts on yeah. how teams are dictating that, you know, one one driver move, move aside for another? I meant that it is a little bit of match-fixing to a certain yeah, degree. That's what it feels like. No, it feels I agree. A bit, I, yeah, feels a bit dirty. For mine, it should be illegal. Like, hang on. Again, other sport people, you know, surely as, a, as an, any sporting event, we want the correct order of finishing, which mm-hmm. doesn't happen mm-hmm. in motor racing. I, I think it should be a no-goer and it jumped all over personally, you know. So, yeah. Obviously, uh, motor racing or, or Formula One is a team sport, so I can see sort of where that might be happening. But if there's nothing wrong with uh, your teammate, then you're right. It, it yeah, just I, doesn't quite sort I, of sit too well with me. But, but it leaves a bit of taste. Yeah. It, you know, it's a questionable mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be. Yep. Every sport should be pure. That's leaving questionable. What's the difference between that and and match fixing yep. in cricket, which we all jump all over? Yep. You know, I've, yeah, I don't see much difference there. I, no, it's a no for me. Yep, no, fickle. And then we'll stay with the Australians. Ricardo still has it. He had a he had a very very good weekend um, in Mexico and really showed that he still got it. And uh, qualifying fourth um, and then finishing seventh. Is a is a very very good effort considering some of the uh, stages throughout the race. Obviously, that sort of meant that positions changed a little bit. But uh, he's held his head very very high considering the situation. I I think he's going to find his way to a team next year. Yeah, hope so. Really do for his sake and and that. So we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, he, at least he's giving himself a chance yep. to be around. Absolutely, still around it. Absolutely, if he wants to be. And then, just briefly, I just wanted to touch on the NFL. We'll get into it a little bit more. The season's really only started; they're only eight games in, but it is a very cutthroat because, you know, you're not playing every team twice, and you're not playing home and away, and there's only so many games that you you play throughout the the uh, the season. Um, it's very very interesting to see that there are some teams that are jockeying position, and almost a little bit like the baseball. There's a few teams that. Are, that are coming uh, from, left field. from left field a little bit, yeah. That um, you know are, are starting to make their mark, and some teams that we perceive to be around the mark that are just struggling a little bit. Ironically, I was listening to SEN was yeah yesterday, mm-hmm. um, trying to think where I was and driving and that, and yet on, that was virtually the the conversation listening to the NFL. Yes, which I hadn't mentioned to you before, but that was virtually yeah. almost exactly what they were saying. So yeah, that. 
yeah, interesting. It seems to be that uh, uh, um, I hadn't heard that, but uh, you know, yeah. just obviously keeping an eye on it and a bit of research and just knowing where certain teams should fit. Uh, is just basically where it's at at the moment. So that one's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. All right, to finish this off, mate, the good, the bad, the ugly for this week. I'm going to go the good Adelaide United. I, I thought it was great. I'm going to go the bad, only because I thought it was funny, it was the goalkeeping. As I said, I reckon you would have got a game for... Chris Ansel would understand this line if he listened to the Pembroke school side, which only went down 26-0 one game when Chris was coaching in a cliffhanger. Yep. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it was quite amusing in that way. Uh and there was an also an error. It was the goalkeeper who saved the penalty, uh, made one of the worst errors. I'll find it. We'll yep. put it on our page. Yep. Uh, and that where he missed a goal, he missed a clearing kick and dribbled. It was quite amusing. It was that bad. So yeah, there were a couple of things. Couple of things from the weekend. Yep, fair call. Uh, my good uh, for this week uh, is probably a little bit of a, a, a personal one, for, and also for the podcast was getting to chat to Neil Craig and yep. and just uh, picking his brain on a, on a few things and hearing his philosophies and um, you know that was quite fascinating. And I'm sure our listeners are going to find it quite fascinating. There'll be some things that they they thought they knew about Craigie and some things that that that, that, that they may not have. Oh, look, I'm glad at how open he was. So- like Brendan Bolton and things, how highly he rates him. And it was fascinating talking about, you know, the rugby side mm-hmm. of it, cycling at the Olympics. And so it covers, you know, an hour and a half is not long enough with Craigie because yep. of how many bloody things he's done in his life. Absolutely. So. I think my bad for the week was um, probably a little bit like you, uh, from a cricketing point of view, uh, the, the Redbacks. Yeah. I, I held hope that the uh, uh, New South Wales win here might have just given them a little bit of self-belief, um, but they uh, just lacked that little bit of grit. So for me, that's probably still the bad at the moment. Um, still sinking yeah. in from, I'm sure, your point of view as well. Bitterly disappointing. And probably my ugly is just some consistencies. And, and like I said, we're going to hold fire a little a little bit on this as far as... I will go for the good still. Elliot Opie, retire, it was his last game for Kensington, retiring. Mm-hmm. Came on to bowl first change and bowled his first ball on Saturday. Was absolutely unplayable and bowled Danny Devine. And uh, Elliot's celebration, I did stir him up. I thought he could have run another lap. Yep. Uh, it, was, it, made, it was very similar to Warney 700th, how much uh, yes. he ran off. And then he actually bowled Isaac Higgins again next ball. So he was on a hat-trick with his third ball. Yes. As it turned out, Kenzie lost the game, which is a... Yeah, you know, a little bit disappointing for Elliot's way to go out, sure. but the first two balls on Saturday it was pretty incredible to be at Parkinson. I saw it on Facebook his last game. I thought I'll do the right thing and yep. go up Salo and wish him the best. Yep. And yeah, so I was there for that. And uh, yeah, that was pretty specky. Oh, fair call. And yeah, just to finish off my ugly and and like I said before. Uh, this might be something that we get into in a little bit more depth um, with one of our subjects uh, later on. Is probably the AFL or the AFLW umpiring with, and we did mention it briefly with the last touch out of bounds. Oh, it was bizarre. Um, I do have some very very strong thoughts on it, ah, but there off, were mate. there were some times during the weekend that um, that I was left scratching my head watching it. You're at the at the game, obviously uh, on the scoreboard, scratching your head at times oh. with it as well. I don't want to get into it too much now, but I definitely have some pretty strong thoughts on it, and uh, I think we'll uh, we'll leave that till next week. But I'll overall, sum it, it's been I'll a good sum week. it up in the terms of I detest guesswork. 
don't guess. Yep. And there were several blatant guesses mm-hmm. on the weekend. All right, we'll leave it on that note. Uh, it has been a very, very good week as far as sporting uh, events go here in SA for some of our local teams. Not so good for some others. But on a whole, it's been a very, very good week. So once again, we hope to do better next time. We thank Neil Craig for his time as being our special guest. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks, Pope. See you, mate. In this crazy world we live in, we all need the distraction. Enjoying the show? Like, rate, and subscribe. Hook up and connect with us on social media at SportsCast SA. We'll see you next time on Game On.